0: want to welcome family and guests to this memorial service for Claude Summerlin. Claude was born on September 25th, 1943, in Toxie, Alabama. His date of death was February 25th, 2023, at the age of 79. The Lord gave him a good long life. He was the oldest of five children, and it said there wasn't any doubt as to who the boss was. (laughs) He was raised in Bossier City, and he attended Bossier High School. He proudly served in the United States Marine Corps Reserve, and he worked as a manager of Smith Distributing Company in Shreveport, Louisiana until his retirement. It said that Claude loved spending time with his two sons, Glenn Summerlin and his family and then Michael Summerlin deceased and his family. He was very proud of his boys. Glenn was a successful has a successful career in Denver, Colorado, and Michael served in the United States Navy for 20 years. And retired as Chief Petty Officer. Anybody that knew Claude knew that he loved his sports, especially his LSU Tigers. But he was preceded in death by his parents and son, Michael Bailey Summerlin. He is survived by his son, Glenn Summerlin, and wife, Rhonda, daughter-in-law, Lori Summerlin, his brother Robert Summerlin, his sister Shirley O'Glee and Lula Odom and Betty Bennett and also had five grandchildren Megan Yose and her husband Charles Lexi Solis and husband Cody Brett Bailey Kelsey Summerlin and Ronnie Glenn Summerlin and this is a Great number right here. 11 great grandchildren and two special nieces, Amy Vincent and Chandra Watson. So we're here today, not only in memory of Claude and the life the Lord gave him, but particularly to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of all creation, by whom we live and move and have our being and certainly want to give him the honor and praise. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time of gathering whereby we look to you for comfort for each family member and acquaintance here gathered. We wouldn't be here had you not so ordained. And so we look to you for your blessing in every part of this worship service. May it be to your honor and glory alone. Be a comfort to the family and to those who knew Claude. We know that each of us has an expiration date that you have purposed. And when it comes, we're never quite ready, but in those times we do bow to your will and look to you for that comfort. And so we give you the praise Honor and glory in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Mm.
1: songs has ever been written. God has given us the grace and he's given us the faith to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Before I read Ephesians 1, I want to go over and talk about my brother just a little bit. I may miss some things and this is the first time I've ever had to do this, so you'll have to excuse me for any mistakes. I appreciate everyone that's here for coming. I recognize some of your faces and I know some of you were real, real close to Claude, and growing up and everything. We thank you for your his, your friendship towards him. I wanted to start out with Claude. First of all, I want you to you saw the pictures. One thing you saw in all the pictures, he had a great smile. Wherever you saw Claude, he was going to smile. You know, I told my sister Lula, I said I wished I had that kind of smile, but we're all different, and so we are thankful. And we thank God for giving us 79 years for our brother. And as the years went by, my brother and I got closer and closer. And uh, in the last seven, eight years, we lived together. We, I took care of him. And I'm thankful to God that, that he allowed me to do that because we became brothers. And that meant so much to he, uh, Claude and myself. So I thank God for that. I was going to go back in his early years when he was a baby, and uh, my sister Shirley, uh, my brother was called Claude Glennon Summerlin, and Shirley, when she was a baby, she could not mention, she could not say Glennon, so she came up with her own word, as a child would do, and she called her, called him Ghani. We don't know where she got that, but that's what she called her, and, uh, My sister Lula, in later years, started calling him Clyde. So we had a lot of different AKA names for my brother Claude. And people that uh, we were running, even in the nursing home, they got to know Claude as Clyde. They say, how you doing, Mr. Claude, Mr. Clyde. And it was just a a fun time, you know, and they got a kick out of it. But anyway, uh, I, I didn't have any names much for him, except he was my brother. And, uh, and we're thankful. Um, I remember every time we would go out to eat, the uh, people thought Claw was my dad, and I said yes. You know, <laughs> I was so I was smiling. That was probably the biggest smile that I had. You know, and I started calling him Dad or Pops in front of everybody, and they until we, you know, sometimes we had to tell them the truth that I was his brother and not his. Son, but anyway. But it was always a laugh. We, uh, when Claude was born, he was a really good looking kid, you know. And of course, the teenage years came, and we wanted to know what happened to him, because we didn't know if he was really our brother. Uh, Claude, when he was a teenager, like most typical teenagers, he had, um, he had a lot of freckles, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know. But uh, he had pimples and everything like that and he wore those black rim glasses. And when he was younger, the the, uh, glasses had not been perfected. So if you got closer to Claude's eyes, they were big. He'd scare you to death. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I remember in the Shreveport Times, they had a contest when we were young. And this little orange, red-headed kid had hundreds, about, I don't know how many freckles he had But it was a contest, you had to count the freckles. And uh, we all thought that was Claude. And so we started trying to count the freckles on Claude's face and of course he would get mad at us because he knew what we were doing and he knew that we were making fun of him. But we finally stopped that. We didn't win the contest by the way. But anyway, um, I don't know how Shirley and Lula were when uh, this happened. I think maybe Lula was in elementary, Shirley was in elementary, but Claude, uh, he was the boss of, the, of all of our, uh, the children. And we knew that. He was the head rooster. And, uh, and, but anyway, Claude was a little mischievous. And I remember Lola, uh, Claude liked sports. And he liked baseball, too. So we didn't, he didn't have a baseball, so he would just crush up cans. I'll say Coke cans. I don't know what. But anyway, and he would hit them and he wanted Lula to catch him. Well, Lula caught some, but the last one she caught in her forehead. And uh, she started bleeding profusely and everything. And of course, I can't remember if Dad was there, but I know one thing. When Dad found out, he got a big whooping, a big one. And uh, so Lula had to go to the dock and get stitches and everything. Uh, Shirley, Claude likes to play these dangerous games for some reason, but Shirley, Uh, We had an old uh, pitchfork, you know, the long blades. And so the game was, Claude was going to jab at her feet, and she was supposed to move. Well, guess what? She forgot the rules of the game, and she didn't move, and that pitchfork went through her foot. And guess what? Blood everywhere, he got a whooping. Big time, so anyway. Uh, Now, Betty was a different story. Claude did not pick on my sister Betty for some reason, because I guess she was the youngest and uh, he was, I think, six, I think six years older. And so he just left Betty alone. But me, I was his punching bag. <laughs> and so, and he had me crying all the time. And uh, I remember one time my mom and Claude and I were in the kitchen and uh, Claude had hit me. I was crying, mom was upset. So on the dinner table, there was a butter knife and a fork. I picked up the butter knife. I threw it at him, and it missed. I said, okay, you dirty dog. I picked up that fork. I threw it. I hit the target. That fork was standing straight up on his arm, poor arm, and he looked at it. He pulled it out, and guess what? I got a whooping by him. (laughs) But the very next couple of days, he says, Robert, I'm going to stop picking on you because you're getting dangerous. I said, yeah, next time I'm going to pick up a hammer on you. So he stopped bothering me after that. Much so. But anyway, um, uh, let's see. But we uh, we knew, like I said, we knew who Cla- the boss was. It was Claude when Dad was not there. And like I said, we had the scars to prove it and, uh, and everything. Uh, when Mom would cook him eggs, he could. I don't care whether she fried them or scrambled them, he was a perfectionist. He could not stand one speck in those eggs. I mean one speck. And Mom would have to cook the eggs two or three times until Dad found out about that. And so Mom had scorched the eggs a little bit. Dad said, you're going to eat every bit of it. And he did, and that broke him from that, okay? But my mom slaved for him, you know? So, But anyway, uh, that was another thing that happened. And uh, let me get my note back. Uh, uh, let's see. When Claude, I think, I don't know how many years, how old he was, but he and a bunch of his friends, Travis, I think James Quigley, decided to go in the Marine Corps and for six months, and it was right before the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, they were very proud. I think Travis went in a little heavy. He came back smaller. Claude came in thin, and he came back bigger. I don't know what James Kirkwood. I think he came back pretty solid too, but that was a good time for their lives. It, it showed them some discipline and everything, and they all three needed it, needed it like we all do. Uh, after the Marines, he married his teenage sweetheart, Shirley Partain Summerlin, and they had two boys, Glenn and Michael Summerlin, and of course Michael's no longer with us, And uh, but anyway, my mom, she kept both uh, Glenn and Michael and just like my mom kept her niece her grandchildren Amy and uh, Chandra and my mom loved them to death and they loved her And so anyway that was a good time um, and like I said as Claudia and I got older because we were five years apart we all had our different friends and uh, anyway as we started getting older we grew together we grew up and we started being brothers, which was a precious time for me and also him. Uh, everywhere we went together would eat. He liked to hug the women. That's, he loved, I don't care. It was anybody that he it was a female. So we loved to eat at a uh, 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 place up there on across from the racetrack. I uh, can't remember, think of it real my right now. But there was a beautiful young lady, she was a college student, and uh, her name was Chelsea, and every time we go in that place, where's Chelsea, where's Chelsea? He'd go looking for her. i said, Claude, don't make this obvious, you know, for sure, you know. But anyway, we got in the pattern, when she left, we started going to Casio's, and Tony and uh, Debbie and Heather, all of them, they just enjoyed us because Claude He would always have a big wad of money in his pocket, but he was always real, real slow to get it out when we had to pay. So usually I had to pay for it, and Tony really got, I mean, he just loved it. You know, he'd die off laughing and everything and get us. But anyway, when I didn't want to pay, I'd just say I don't have any money. I left it at home, and he'd have to break some, you know, whatever he had to break. So anyway, but it was our time to bond as brothers, and like I said, we enjoyed it. Um, let me see I think that's all I have to say uh, and uh, anyway I just I want I thank the Lord for the time that I had with my brother and, uh, and all my brothers and sisters were all close we all took turns in taking care of him as he got worse and worse and we're thankful for that time Today I want to read to you Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is a letter written by Paul. And it's a letter not written to the world like we all write letters and letters are for two particular people. And even in the first chapter and second, Paul is telling us that he is writing to the saints at Ephesus. These are the ones that he called out, these are the ones he separated himself. And that's the start of Ephesians 1, so I'd like to read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The praise of the the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace, wherein He has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He has purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnestness of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we praise you, even in these sad times. We know that you are holy and righteous. Lord, we know that you ordain and purpose all things in Christ. And Lord we thank you for that. Lord, we know that you're sovereign in creation, providence, and in salvation. And we look to you today as every day. Lord, let us not get caught up in the world and the temporal things of the world because it's passing. We look to Christ, and that's who we look to every day. The Lord is our bread. He is our life. I pray that everyone that hears me today will one day may put these words Here lies a sinner saved by grace. That is what we all hope for. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace. And we ask Christ in all things, be with each and every one of us today as we depart. Keep them safe, Lord. And we thank you again for giving us a brother for 79 years and a family that is close-knit. We thank you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs>
0: Christ, there is another whose life and death I am charged to declare, and that is of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater life that has ever been lived, no greater death than has ever been accomplished than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a solemn time for us, as we remember Claude and his life and death, but it is even more solemn when we consider that every one of us sitting here right now has the same appointment with death. People don't like to think about that. In fact, if you go down here to the office, they're ready to sell you some life insurance. Why do they call it life insurance? Because who wants to buy death insurance and yet the reality is that all of us are going to face this moment and it is an appointment that each of us will keep because it's according to God's ordaining there are certain appointments in life if you're like me I don't like to go to the doctor I don't like to go to the dentist And so they keep calling me to remind me of the appointment. And if I get right down to it, I'm thinking, I think I'm going to call them and let them know I'll postpone. But with death, that's not our option. That's not our choice. In fact, the scriptures say that our days have already been numbered in God's book even before any of them existed. And so therefore, it's an important time for us even now, to sit and consider. Now the scriptures tell us that all those who have died and never will die will either face the Lord as one upon whom he set his love. Just as we heard read here in Ephesians chapter 1. A lot of people like to think, well, God loves everybody. No, there are those that he has particularly set his love upon Even before the foundation of the world. And it's for them that the Lord Jesus Christ was brought into this world. And he paid the sin debt that those for whom he died might be justified or declared righteous before God. That's the importance of his life and death. It has accomplished the salvation of that people that the Father gave him. I know it's a shock to many people because they're not hearing this from preachers but if you'll take your Bible and open it and read the word you'll see that even Christ said in his prayer before he went to the cross I pray not for the world but for those that thou hast given me from out of the world that's in John 17 and verse 9 I've had some response I never saw that verse before well it's there And it's important for us to consider that this matter of salvation is not by our choosing. Just like you would never choose your birth. So you never choose the day of your death. People like to act as if we've got some free will. Well, choose not to get sick then. Choose not to die. We know that our lives are in God's hands from beginning to end. And how more importantly to consider that if any of us has been saved, it is only by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And only those have that true hope of heaven, that if he paid your sin debt, then that is how God has made you not just acceptable, even as we heard read in Ephesians chapter one, but accepted in the beloved. I like that word accepted. If I did some homework, and the teacher came back with a little remark and said, acceptable. I'm the kind that's like, okay, what wasn't right if it's just acceptable? Oh, I like to see that accepted. And that's exactly how God looks upon every sinner for whom the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. There's another word that people don't like to hear preached today, the word Sinner. I remember one time down in Lafayette at a particular business meeting. I was asked to give the invocation. And as I prayed to my Lord, I prayed and thanked him that he was a God that had sent his son into the world to save sinners. And when I finished, there was a businessman sitting on the front row that leaned over and said to his colleague he said did he say sinners yes sinners not the righteous Christ said not the righteous but sinners he came to save. and that's the number one thing that left to ourselves we don't want to admit we like to see ourselves as good proper people making an effort to live a good life and yet unless that life can answer to every jot and tittle of God's holiness. The only thing that a sinner is going to hear God declare as they stand before Him is, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That also is in the scriptures. Because many profess, they say, Well, Lord, Lord, have we not done many mighty works in your name? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. That's a very solemn thing to consider. So either we'll stand before God as having been justified by the blood shed and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ or we'll stand before God and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. I can't determine that. I don't know. As I preach, it's not up to me to be the judge. Sometimes I'll get As a pastor, people come and ask, me, well, you think so-and-so was saved? You think so-and-so was saved? I remind them, I'm not the judge. I'm just a clerk in the court. I've been called to declare the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know this, that everyone for whom Christ paid their sin debt, he's going to have, he's going to draw. He said that. Of all that the Father has given me, he said, I'll not lose one. That's the God of the Bible. That's the Christ of the Scriptures. So it's in times like these that we turn to the Scriptures for clarity. It's not my word, it's God's word. And there's one Scripture that you probably have heard quoted many times if you've ever been raised where the Bible is preached. But it's Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 And it simply says this, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are two simple realities that we find in this concise scripture. First of all, and you've heard that statement, the only two things you can count on are death and taxes. Well, this is one reality here. Death is the reality that we all must face and will because it says here all have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. Actually, the way it's put is all did sin. Well, how did sin enter into the world? By that very first Adam, that first man that was made. By one man, sin entered into the world. How did righteousness come into the world? By one man. That's God coming in the flesh and working out that righteousness for that people that he purposed to save. But that's the simple reality that we find here. I've talked to a lot of people tell me, I don't believe the Bible. It's just written by men. It's hogwash. And so I asked him, well, how do you explain death? And there's a silence. Everybody dies. We know that. Well, if you read the scripture, you'd find out that that's the message of scripture. That all are condemned to die. The reason there is death is because we're born in this world as sinners. We sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. There's this thought that somehow babies are innocent and they're born innocent with a clean slate. And then all of a sudden now they become sinners. No. David said they're born in this world. They come forth from the womb speaking lies. And any of us have raised children or grandchildren. We know that. What's the first word out of a baby's mouth, isn't it? "no"? when that baby cries and keeps you up all night. It's wanting its will already and declaring it. That's what we are by nature. So that's the first reality that this scripture sets forth. The wages of sin is death. There's physical death, but there's also spiritual death. That means when we're born in this world, because we're all sons of Adam, we we don't come in knowing God. It takes God revealing himself by his son, and that he does through the Word. So there's spiritual death, and unless God opens the eyes... Of sinners to see Christ and His glory and hope in Him, they'll die as they've lived in that spiritual condemnation. And then, what awaits? It's eternal death. Forever separated from God. I know people get their back up even on that. They say, what kind of God would condemn sinners to have? Hell, a holy God, a just God. God is love, but He loves His Son. And He loves those that he's purposed to save in his son. And that's where the gift, the second part of this scripture in Romans six twenty three, speaks just as, as, as loudly. The wages of sin is death, but then it says, but, but as a conjunction, contrast, the gift of God. That means salvation isn't something you earn, not something you merit or me but it's the gift of god and it's eternal life but don't forget the last part of that verse through jesus christ our lord there is no life given apart from jesus christ our lord there's some that at that point you say oh there's an awful lot of people that don't know christ in the world don't believe on him they die without ever hearing about him what's there in it's death because the only life that is ever given is through jesus christ the lord that's the clear declaration of scripture so as we gather here today let's remember first that death is a reminder it's amazing how pictures outlive people we can go back and pull up pictures from way back in our youth they don't change That's a picture taken of a particular point in time. But when we are gathered as we are now and considering the death of a loved one, it's a reminder of our own mortality. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're born that way. And we're sinners by will and by practice. And left to ourselves, there would be no hope. When I first read this scripture i thought that was a grammatical error because it says the wages uh, plural of sin is death and if i was an english teacher i'd be saying oh wait a minute the wages are death you know it's the wages of sin that is death what it's talking about is as a complete sum of who we are as sinners and all that we are that those wages represent death that's the consequence of who we are it's an interesting word that word rendered wages it referred to back in the day of food and pay which generals would give to their soldiers for their service so by using this term here the apostle paul is showing What sort of pay the usurper or sin gives to those who serve under his banners? Think of sin as a commander that dictates every thought that we have in our life. That's who we are. Well, that food, that pay that sin gives can only be death. That's it. And yet... In contrast, oh, the good news of those words, but the gift of God. Any that have been taught of Christ and his death, they stop and consider, why me? Why me, Lord? Why should I be one who is the object of that gift? Because we shouldn't have to say it, but sometimes to make the point, we call it the free gift of God. Well, a gift is free by nature. But it's the free gift of God, but at a cost. God couldn't just look the other way and then say, okay, I'm going to be kind and save this one or that one. No, it required just payment because God is just. God is holy. And for him then to love any sinner, it had to be through a just and holy satisfaction. And that's why the scripture says it's the gift of God, which is eternal life. You wouldn't expect anything less, would you? The the eternal God grant eternal life, which means pardon. It means forgiveness. It means to be justified before him forever. But it's going to be the result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Not everybody's Lord he is the Lord of all but here he says our Lord he's talking about those for whom Christ came and paid the sin debt so the Apostle does not call everlasting life a wage the wages of sin is death but he does call everlasting life the gift the free gift of his grace. I don't know if you're listening to the words just before I came up here to speak, but that hymn is so precious. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others, the heart calling, Please do not pass me by. I wonder if you have that urgency. You won't. Most of us are going to be like cattle when the butcher truck shows up and one... They haul it off in the wagon. The cattle look up for a while. And when the truck disappears down the road. What do the cattle do? Go right back to grazing. Like nothing was. I've seen it over and over again. It is hardly even. An hour. After a funeral service. Where we're staring. Mortality in the face. One of our loved ones has died. According to God's purpose. And yet. What do people want to do? Put it as far out of their mind as they can. I mean, when I get in the car, let me turn up the radio a little bit, start feeling a little better here. I don't have to deal with this. Well, sooner or later, we do. And uh, so I would encourage each of us to give consideration. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. So in closing, All the while, we're here to remember, as I said, the life of Claude Summerlin and our attachment to him while he was yet with us. It is more important for each of us now to weigh what will be our lot when the Lord calls us in death from this world. It's not a trifling matter, very sobering. And as I said, those who are the Lord's, only those can take comfort in the words of the lord jesus that we find in john 11:25 and 26 when the lord said unto martha i am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me and even that believing is a gift that god gives though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die and then the Lord asked her, he said, believest thou this? Well, that's the question I ask you. Some may be sitting here right now thinking, oh, fairy tales. Well, you'll face a holy and just God unless God has been is merciful to show you his grace and mercy in Christ. But others, they can thank the Lord that he did not leave them in their blindness and in their rebellion was pleased to teach them of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only hope. He's my hope by his grace and mercy. Any other hope is a false hope. Is he your hope? That's the matter that we all have to consider. We'll listen to one more hymn, and then I'll have our funeral director come in and give us some instructions.